Welcome to the What's Your Ceiling podcast. We're your hosts, Monty Wyatt and Paul Sosinski. Wherever you are in life, there is a higher ceiling. This podcast is how you become aware of it and how to take action to push through it. I'm Monty Wyatt, best-selling author of Pulling Profits Out of a Hat and CEO of Adding Zeros Executive Development. I grew up on a family farm in Iowa and have gone from sowing corn to sowing seeds of success throughout the world, leading, managing, and training teams. With me is Paul Sosinski, entrepreneur and investor who also grew up on a family farm here in Iowa. We believe every organization and person can be intentional in how they lead, influence, and manage their lives and businesses. What's Your Ceiling is for professionals, managers, executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners who want to achieve more in their health, family, and business by breaking through their ceiling. Every episode will give you real-world, easy-to-implement solutions so that you can be more aware and take action to reach new heights. It's time to discover your ceiling. Welcome to the show. Looking forward to a great conversation today. Paul, it's always fun to have our podcast and we talk about a topic to kick us off to really get people thinking about how they are guiding their life, the awareness that they have and how they can improve on that. And I want us to talk about the word ownership for a few minutes. So when I say the word ownership, what, what comes to mind? What's that mean to you, Paul? Well, ownership, number one, like our podcast says, it's health, family, and business. I think taking ownership a lot of times is not owning a car, your house. A lot of it is, is taking ownership in who you are, taking ownership in your faults. I think that once you understand the truth and you take ownership in that, you can get yourself better. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, it's taking ownership of ourselves and our behaviors and A lot of it is how we respond to what happens to us is the ownership. You and I were talking a little bit earlier about people not taking ownership of something happens to them and they just want to blame someone else. That's lack of ownership where they're not believing they have any action into it. Yeah. And you know what, Monty, I think I think we all at some point in time, we all don't always take ownership. But as you get older and as you learn and your awareness gets bigger and better, you find out that if you take ownership, you found out what the truth, you can get better from that truth. And I believe me, I've been there. So I love how you added the word truth. Truth to ownership is truth to who we are. Mm -hmm. And what are you creating? You know, part of what one of our objectives of doing this podcast is to challenge our audience, challenge each of us to continue to grow and to grow and get better in our life and our business and our health. We do have to take ownership. It is. I think the people that that pass the buck are always blaming someone else or the people that aren't taking ownership. And that's why they're stuck in the life that where they're at, whether it's your health, family or business. If you can take ownership and say, hey, this is where we're at. This is where I've made mistakes and uh, let's get better and surround yourself with the people that take ownership. And that helps also. Absolutely. And, you know, as a entrepreneur, as a business owner, as an executive, you have to take ownership of where you're taking your business in your life because you're always being watched. And if you're blaming other people, you're teaching your your team, your employees, your children, that it's okay to blame other people. And we've got a great guest with us today that has taken some great ownership of his business, his career, his life, 
And so I want to welcome to us a college friend of mine and a client of mine. We're going to leave those stories out of here, stories on both sides that we'll make sure we don't talk about. But I want to welcome Doug Johnson. Thank you for joining us, Doug. Well, thank you. It's really good to be here today. So I enjoy it. Enjoy the opportunity to sit here and share with you guys of a little bit more about ownership. So, which I think is a great, great topic. And you guys are have already introduced some of the principles that it takes, obviously, with ownership. So when you talk about truth and you talk about so much about business is about trust. And trust is the foundation of a growth model of making sure that you have a great business and a great team that goes along with that. So, you know, trust is huge because that's that's where everything really starts as far as people buying into what you have. And finding that, you know, when you do those interviews and hiring them for your team, you know, that's a process. And being able to identify those people that do take ownership in there. And those are the type of people I think most businesses that want to be successful are trying to find those people. And you've obviously been a successful company from, you you know, from day one to over the several years. How many years have you been in business now? So Bluestone Therapy, we can get into that a little bit, but Bluestone Therapy has been in business since 2009. You know, I, I loved how you said the word trust in relation to ownership, because if how do we break trust with somebody is we didn't follow through on something. We didn't take ownership for Owner. a timeline exactly. or we didn't take ownership for an action. So when we take ownership, we actually build trust. And when we don't take ownership, we don't want to hang out with those people anymore. We don't want to give them responsibility because we know they're not going to follow through. Yeah, you know, great thing you brought brought up there. But a lot of people out there don't realize, but Monty is a, a coach, a business. He works with a lot of businesses. So he has a lot of experience with people not doing what they say. And uh, so ownership <laughs> is a big thing with, with Monty. So just so you know that he is probably an expert in the area. Well, you know, when I talk about ownership, I want to think about success as well. So the first question I want to ask you, Doug, and I'd love the, the audience to hear, our listeners to hear, how do you view success? What does success look like to you? Because you, you're involved in a lot of different things in your life, not only business, but you're involved in your community, your church, all kinds of things. Tell us what success means to you. You know, I think success for a large part really is determined or how people view success, I should say, is really determined by where you're at in your life. You know, your younger years, it's all about getting ahead, you know, providing for your family or in making financial, some financial gains. You know, for me, where I'm at in my life, it's like I've, I've accomplished a lot of those things for, so for now success is how do I get a little bit of my time back to really enjoy life? Because I love our company. I love our employees and I love being a part of that. But then there's another part of it too. It's that work-life balance, so to speak. It's so it's it's besides just work because I am very driven, very motivated to make sure my company is successful. But on the other side of that too, it's like you got to get out, you got to travel, you got to do stuff, enjoy your family. So that would be success to me right now is about getting some of that time back and having people in place at my company that can drive that ball forward without me being there. So I, I love that definition and I hadn't looked at it that way, but every decade or so it is, it is changing, you know, from where we're at in life or our career, where we're going next, you know, all three of us are farm boys from here in Iowa. And, and I think that's a powerful thing. 
if you would tell us your story, because you've you've had different jobs, you've had different careers, and then you've you're running your own company as well. So tell us what you do. Sure. So start with what I do, but I'm CEO of Bluestone Therapy, which is a contract therapy company that works with long-term care facilities. So we contract our therapists and to provide therapy services, PT, OT, and speech therapy to long-term care facilities. So that's what I do right now. Going back to grew up in Osage on a farm, very active within the farming community. We grew corn, soybeans, I had cattle, I had pigs, you know, so did, did that, you know, was involved in 4-H, involved in FFA, and then went to Iowa State to school and graduated in agricultural business. So that was my degree in ag business. So, and that's what I did right out of college. All three of us had an ag business degree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why we're all gathered here today. That's right. Well, wrestling came from Osage. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I was a wrestler at Osage. Oh, yeah. Not that I was a good wrestler. Yeah, I did wrestle in Osage. And actually, wrestling just in itself teaches you a lot about ownership and being successful because you've you've got to perform out on the mat. You know? Now, is Swab, Doug Schwab your age? Doug Schwab is younger than I am. So Mark was a little bit more my age. Doug, I bet I counted more lights in wrestling than you did. <laughs> Probably. Well, I don't know if that was the case or not. <laughs> but yes, I counted my fair share also. Yes. Yeah. We're not going to go takedowns for a dollar here. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so went to Iowa State, got out of college, worked for a company called Rain and Hail. You guys are probably familiar familiar with Rain and Hail Insurance and did some training with them. And then went, I had a territory up in Wisconsin, which Rain and Hail had never had a field representative up there. So I was the first guy up there. They had a little bit of premium dollars up there, but my responsibility was to build adjusters, build the business, get agents, insurance agents to carry our product. And so I was there for three years before I left that and grew that basically from zero up to, I think we had like almost $2 million in, in premium when I left. And that was within three years. So, so I, I want to ask a couple of questions about that. Cause you know, our title of our show is, was what's your ceiling. Ah. You went into a territory that really didn't have much for business and you had to go into offices that didn't know rain and hail and convince them. So what did you have to break through in your mindset or your skill sets to make that happen? That's a great question. So yeah, going into a territory of really having nothing there and agents, the good thing is they, they sold crop insurance, right? They just didn't sell rain and hail insurance. And it's like, why would they? Because no, nobody had ever, visited them or tried to get them to sell it. So for me, it was, yeah, you got to have, it's all about relationships. It's all about, again, going back to trust. You have to get, you know, people at least to trust you enough to give you a a try or give you a shout, a, a shot at the business. So for me, it was like just developing that relationship, following through with the things that I said I was going to do. And then without making a a complete guarantee, but convincing them that we could be successful with if they sold our insurance. So, yeah, so it was the trust level. And then I had to believe in the product that I was selling too. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. You, you, you said that you had to believe it yourself because you're, you're out there selling something that they've never bought 
and you've never sold it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was, there's definitely times out there where I had to make some judgment calls. One of the scenarios that I had was in Wisconsin, they grow tobacco, right? And I have never seen tobacco. So this tobacco that they grow is for the wrapping. Okay. It's not the filler, but for the wrapping. And it's probably not on the finer cigars. Either. So, <laughs> but one of my adjusters who, he was actually one of my adjusters was also a farmer and he grew tobacco. Well, we end up having a hail claim right on his farm. I knew nothing about tobacco. All right. So I don't know how to adjust tobacco, but you break out your manual, you break out, you know, everything that you have, and then you go out and did the adjustment. So his name was Paul actually, when I went out there. So we're looking at his field and I'm like, you know, taking a look at the manual, taking a look at the leaves and you know, the damage that was on them. And uh, I'm like, so Paul, what do you think? You know, what, uh, here's what I see out of this. What do you see out of it? And you know, he would kind of give me his two cents on it. And I'm like, and I'm like, so we got done adjusting. I'm like, so what do you think about this whole loss? He's like, yeah, it looks like about 25%. And I'm like, you know, looked like about 28% for me. So it's like, so that's how you, you made your way through it, right? You adjusted. So yeah, it was. It was evolved it, together. Evolved together, yes. exactly. So it was an interesting time, but it was good. So, uh, so what, what'd you do after Wisconsin? So after Wisconsin, I got into the business, family business with running nursing homes, actually. So my father-in-law or father-in-law at that time had four facilities that he was running and needed some extra help to run those facilities and was also looking at kind of freeing up his time so he could go do some things and travel and get away during the winter months. So he hired me. And so I came on board to run the nursing home business. Very good. And how long have you been in the nursing home business? Or were so you? still in it, but it's changed quite a bit from that. So 1995 is when I started with them. So, and that was Hawkeye Care Centers. And at the time we had four facilities in 95 and we grew that business to when we sold it in 2017 to where we had over 10, 10 facilities. So, and we built a couple of facilities, built some assisted living facilities, and then grew that from there. So tell us a little bit about the growth and because you had to change the way they were doing things because your, your, your father-in-law had made it to a certain number of facilities and wanted to step away, give himself some time, but you wanted to grow. What did you have to learn, change, or believe to get, get up to that 10 facility point? Well, we, we really had to change the way that we did things. So as far as like when you had four facilities, you could kind of manage the, the different processes and different systems of each facility that they had. And you know this, Monty, because you had to help me out with this. But as you grow in scale, you really have to have a very good process of how you operate and some of the just the different things that you do throughout, you have to have a good process for that type of stuff. The other thing you have to have, obviously, is you have to have a great culture. And, you know, I learned a lot from my father-in-law and he already had a pretty good culture, but it's like, how do you scale that? You know, how do you scale that from being a small company to now, you know, we're over, you know, $30 million in revenue where we started off was pretty small, 
you know, so how do you scale that culture to make sure that you still have good people? So we had, you know, some founding principles that we developed over time. You know, we, we established core values. We established a mission statement. And then we had to have a culture that supported those things. So as you were talking about culture before or behaviors, Monty, you know, that's, that's where your culture comes from is your core values plus your behavior equals the culture that you have. So that's a heck of a concept. Doug. I know I, I learned it learn from that? a very smart person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Monty, you want to take a bow now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know who he's talking about. So you're, you're working with the, the therapy and then the retirement homes. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're basically, and when you run one of these facilities in this business, your income is done by private and insurance. Medicaid, 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 Medicare, private insurance, and private pay. Yep, those are our payers. You know, we had we had a really good company where we had actually we had facilities that had ownerships that weren't so great, and that they came to us and said, "Hey, would you purchase us? Would you buy us? Because we want to be under your umbrella." And we did that, and you know, turned those facilities around to interesting times with with those facilities and and turning those around you know what what an awareness now why would why would one facility be a failure when you can take a facility and take multiple and be successful leadership it's it, it is about having really developing and having really good leaders within your facilities so and that's one thing that we did really well was people that can make a difference in your facility making sure you have really good people, Paul, and then paying them right, obviously, because it's worth it. So, and then because they will be that sounding board for all the employees that are at that facility, which obviously quality of care, having a meaningful culture and a meaningful delivering outcomes for your patients and being invested into their outcomes is is a big deal. Very cool. So, when did you get involved with the therapy business? So you, you have the senior living centers, you're doing this. When did you get involved in therapy? So 2009 is when I started my therapy company. And that was a lot because, again, going back to having outcomes, we really ha- didn't have great therapy that was coming into our facilities. They didn't have the residents in mind. It was more about getting their therapist in, doing a 30-minute treatment, getting out, going down to the next facility ar- across town. So for us, it's like, look, my people are not getting the services that they need and we can do this better. And so that's when I started. 2009 is when I started and I started in our own facilities that we were running. And then after a few years and kind of mastering that and knowing what we were doing, because I didn't want to promote the therapy company until I really knew what we were dealing with and how we could scale it expand it and make sure that we were providing a service that I was proud of. And so after a few years, we started doing that to where now we have over 60 contracts and we're in five different states. So So you went from zero to being in five states, 60 contracts. Yep. That's zero. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you. So we employ roughly 250 full-time employees now. And then we have, if you consider all of our PRN employees, we have over 650 employees. Yeah, we've grown quite a bit. So tell us, tell us about that ceiling, you know, cause you going from a small number of employees to 600, even if they are PRN, 
and going from zero contracts to 60, how did, how did you have to, or what did you have to break through in your mind and in your skill sets? Man, it takes a lot of perseverance to begin with. So you got, you got to persevere through. So, you know, breaking through some ceilings there is, is when you start a brand new company, it's kind of interesting because you have people that fit that role at that particular point in time. And over time, sometimes that changes or those people need to change because sometimes your company outgrows that, that person or that position. We got started, was going really strong, but at certain times it's like, we're going to have to change out this person because we're bigger now than what their capabilities are or roll them into a different position. So really overcoming ceilings of knowing when to make changes, hiring the right people again for the right positions was the biggest thing there. So and you're probably creating like vice president position, yep. those type of position directors, and you're probably getting big enough. To, do you create a board at some point? Or I don't have a board. You've got an executive team. Yep. I have a senior leadership team. So, so you're exactly right, Paul. Back when we first got started, we didn't have any VPs, but we had different people that ran our operations, ran our clinical positions. But as we've gotten bigger, I now have a COO who happens to be my wife. She's, she's an occupational therapist and just knows so much about operations. So she runs that part, but I do have a VP of operations. I have a VP of clinical and I have a VP of outpatient services. So along with the other things like HR finance and all that too. So the bigger we got definitely had to have those positions. And as we, we definitely saw that as an opportunity or a bottleneck that we had for a long time was I didn't have enough of those people in that position to make us continue to grow. How are you find how are you finding your employees? You, you got a headhunter or what what do you have? Within our senior leadership, we have some really good people that network. All right. So you know my business development person actually brought in a lot of our people are that are on our senior leadership because he's connected on LinkedIn. He's connected with within the profession. We do have a recruiter also that helps us with that those positions too. So it, but a lot of it's just being, being involved, being networked, you know, our VP of finance just knew, knew me, knew our company. And when we were looking for somebody reached out to her and, and was able to bring her on board too. So, so Doug, throughout the years, you've tried different things. So it's, it's great that your business has grown. You're scaling it about last 13 years, went from zero to 60 contracts Tell us about something that didn't quite go as well. Uh, maybe it was one of your investments or one of your brilliant ideas that you had and what happened there. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think about, you know, being successful business wise, it's like you have to take risks. All right. So some things, you know, it's like you've got to put yourself out there once in a while and figure out what what works, what doesn't work. So one of the things that ha didn't work for me was owning a convenience store. So back in 1999, Buddy and my brother actually bought a convenience store in Fort Dodge, Iowa. And we bought it from the mayor of Fort Dodge. His name was Gail Van Alstein. <laughs> and he he was the mayor, he was looking to get out. It was a Conoco Fastway in, in Fort Dodge. And it actually 
was okay for about two years. And then that third year, it's like we couldn't get out of it fast enough, fast enough just because we had money going out the front door and product going out the back door. So <laughs> it was it was an interesting time. And, and the other thing we didn't know when the mayor sold it to us was Walmart was coming to town with gas. They were already in town, but they were bringing gas, which as everybody knows, Walmart, that's a loss leader for them to get people into the store. So that cut all of our margin out of our gas. And then they also put a median in front of our store. So it changed traffic flow too. So that was, that was an interesting time. So you're saying the mayor knew that, but you didn't. That would be correct. Yes. <laughs> so the mayor, the mayor was smarter than what we were at that particular we call point that time. Not quite full disclosure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Maybe we didn't ask the right questions. So, so yeah, what, what did you learn out of that, that you make sure in future developments and opportunities that you consider because of that scenario? Yeah, I, you know, a couple of things with that is it is about asking the right questions. And are you always going to ask the right questions? Probably not. But it is being very thorough with your due diligence. You know, back then we knew nothing about, you know, convenience stores, but we had a good idea. It's like, man, they're making big deposits. How hard can this be? (laughs) Everybody's buying cigarettes and gas, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, don't you find people that you were obviously fairly successful up to that point. Right. (laughs) And I, I find this to be true with a lot of people that get into business. They're, they find that they're very successful in one area and they think they can do anything. Yeah. Because I've done it. I yeah. thought I could run a restaurant. Right. So, exactly. You know, I've ran businesses. I've been successful. I can do this. Right. But it's it's not in your wheelhouse. You better think about it because it is. It, it gets tough. Yes. You know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, Paul, because I, it's like I tell a lot of people or people, you know, that ask me of advice. I'm like, stick to with what you know. You know, stick to what you know, because if you don't, you can easily get in over your head. Or make sure your risk is pretty low, you know, when you're doing it. So, because that was a great lesson for me that I knew nothing about the convenience store business and knew nothing how to run it and, and, and got in over my head. And luckily we had, we had somebody that came in and bought it and and bought it from us. And, but in within two years that that store is no longer there. So they had to close the store. And it's now a CVS instead of a convenience store. So, yeah, (laughs) we were lucky. Well, I I appreciate you sharing that because that's, to me, part of the awareness factor is when things don't go the way that you plan, what do you learn from it? And that's part of growth is recognizing and taking the ownership that, hey, I didn't know this before. Now I do. So the next time I experience this, I know to go left instead of right. Exactly. Yep. So maybe not as you evaluate opportunities that come your way, pick and choose the ones that fit you the best. And and still, you got to take some risk. I'm not saying that you don't, but uh, you know, know who you're getting in business with, know, know who your partners are, and, and does it make sense for where you want to go? So speaking of partners, you got in business with your father-in-law. Yes. You've, you're no longer in business with your father-in-law. And I, and I want to talk about your learnings from that scenario as well. If, if it's all right, we'd go down that path. Sure. Go ahead. 
<laughs> we can do that. As I said, I, I learned a lot from my father-in-law and he's a great man. And, and actually we still have a little bit of this together where we have one facility that we didn't sell in 2017. And, but so we, yeah, anyway, we have one facility and, and we provide therapy to that facility too. So there's a little bit of business that we still do. You might want to clarify that your ex ex-father-in-law. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ex-father-in-law. Okay. Thank you. So my ex-father-in-law, um, what was your question again? So you, you had to break through a ceiling there because you've got deep relationships yep. and now you're no longer in that partnership. What, what changed for you mentally as you separated that relationship? Yeah. I mean, what, what changed for me mentally is obviously is, is there, there was a lot of stress during that time because it was obviously going through a divorce. And at that time, Monty too, we were selling the, the majority of our facilities. And so for me, I was still running all the operations and was the president of Hawkeye Care Centers. And it was my responsibility to, you know, as you sell a, a company, you have to keep the EBITDA to where it is because they're buying that, that, the, that company based on what the EBITDA is. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was a lot of stress going through making sure that we kept our revenues up, kept our expenses down and without really anybody or very limited amount of people knowing that we were actually going through the sale process. So changing, there was a lot going on at that time. So changing my mindset was still about how do I continue to run the company the best I can because that that's my responsibility. And again, taking ownership of that, uh, of knowing it's like we still have to get the best price that we can for this for this company. And I still have to do the things that I need to do to, to make sure that that happens. So it's fulfilling your responsibilities that you have no matter what else is going on at that time. You know, that's a great point because a lot of business is family. Mm -hmm. And so you still have to run a business based on financials, good decisions, what's best for the future and right. balancing that. And so I, I'm sure that was very hard. Scenario. Well, and, and you know, you, you bring up a good point too. It's like, it's like, how do you, what do you want to be known for? So you still have to, even though you're going through some really tough times, it's like you still, when you come out on the other side of it, you want to feel good about what you did mm -hmm. and you want to feel good about where you're at. And in it, while, you know, the relationships might be a little bit rocky, you know, it's, but you still know that you did what I did, what I needed to, to, to get to the other side. And I got to feel good about it too. And I do feel good about it because, you know, we left it in a better spot. We, we still sold it to where we, where we wanted to. And, and we left it, in, I left it in a better position. So, you know, th that this is a perfect example of awareness. Not only is Doug is, has a high awareness, but he's a class act. He was in a very tough situation, family business that he was involved with the family and the business. And then it went south on him and they had to work out that relationship. And instead of knocking heads, he decided, you know what, let's work together. Let's figure this out. And I'm sure there's tough times, but that is really critical that an individual like you that can raise above that emotion and be able to get a deal done in a business deal without it just completely 
blowing up. And your last comments, and you got to feel good at the end of the day when you're done making that deal. And I think that is so huge. I think you and I both admire people that can do that. And that, that comes back to the ownership of what do you want to be known for and your relationships and having that trust yeah. because you're going to, Iowa's a small place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, industries are small places with number of people. And so you still have to treat everybody with great respect and trust. And, and you know, I, to, I've never been through a divorce, but I can tell you anybody can handle their emotions and still go with that level of business. I think you, you've been there. I know you've been there and, and the way you explained how you handle it with the, your, I'm, I'm still working through really, handling the emotions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're still, well, you'd be starved for life. But <laughs> yeah, that's oh. all good. I, I appreciate you, know, you sharing that. It, it is a tough story, but you had the strength to do that. And I, I want to lead to another part of, of what we talk about of, of the awareness is our health. And you, you've, from stress to other things, we all go through health challenges. Tell us about, your back, because I know you, <laughs> you, you had some health challenges and that, that affected you for quite a while. Did that, is this at the same time of, no, this was after. So this was, this was, this was uh, d d during 2019, 2020 That's when this happened. So, yeah. So I ended up with some back issues and I had some sciatic nerve issues. So it was a situation where I could not stand for, or, or walk or whatever for over five minutes before I had to sit down or I had to lay down because I would get so much pain that would go down my leg. And so it was, it was such a struggle. And so, I mean, it even fact affected my gait, you know, how you, I walked and like was starting to drag my foot even. So it's like, and I'm, I was, you know, I'm fairly healthy and I wasn't overweight and I wasn't, you know, any of that. And you're stuff. 50. And and I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just turning 50. Yeah. Put a five in front of your number and it's like everything goes to heck. So, but yeah, so it was a, it was a really tough time. And so then was, was getting medical treatment for that. And of course you have to go through a certain process to, in order for insurance to pay for any type of surgery or anything like that. I had a lot of advice from a lot of different people that was like, do get surgery, don't get surgery. You know, it's like none of those things happen. So that are good, you know, if you get surgery and it's like, but Anyway, went through that process and then was scheduling my surgery in 2020, March, it was going to do roughly March in 2020. That's when COVID hit. So I had to go an extra five months before I could actually get surgery. So I'm living with this pain on a daily basis. And again, affecting, you know, like you said, money affects your work. Pain really really affects not only your work, but your mood, your family, all that type of stuff. Pain is a hard, hard thing to deal with. But luckily in August of 2020 was able to get to my back surgery and I'm, I'm back to good. You know, it still takes it after the surgery, I was on limited things I could do for a year. So for three months I had to wear a turtle shell around. So anytime I was vertical or sitting, in fact, I wasn't even supposed to sit for like three months because that puts all the pressure on where the back is. So I was supposed to stand or lay down. And when I was standing, I had to wear this turtle shell around me. And you talk about hot, sweaty, 
whatever. It was like, it, it was not a, a pleasant experience, but was able to get through it. And then limited, obviously, on what I could lift, what I could do, couldn't play golf, you know, all those different types of well, stuff. Well, your surgery, how long did it take your surgery? So my surgery lasted eight and a half hours. So I was face down on a table for eight and a half hours. It's interesting. Dr. Cheryl was my surgeon uh, with the doctor. Iowa Clinic. And I would highly recommend anybody that has somewhat of a complicated surgery, definitely go to Dr. Cheryl because he's really good at what he does. And But it's kind of interesting listening to him as he talked about my surgery. And what took so long was they actually took bone out of my hip and inserted that in between my vertebrae because I had no disc between my L5 and S1. And so they took bone from my hip. And then what they did was they pounded that in between those vertebrae. And so what he would have to do, and he's doing this blind, basically. So he, they, what he said was what they would have to stop, take an x-ray, look at the x-ray, make sure everything was going right, and then, and then go back and start pounding again. So that's what took so long. But did a great job. He's very detailed, very thorough, and, and he's always an interesting guy to go talk to because he's, he's very... Um, personable and does a great job with taking care of his patients. Yeah. He, he actually did my dad's and it was a wonderful, oh. did a great job. Yeah. yeah. So small world. Yeah. Eight and a half hours. So that you were doing all this and still running your facility, but your wife is a big part of running your business yes, too. My wife, as I said before, my wife's a COO, Teresa is her name. And she was really able, again, having really good people to, to be in your company that you feel good about. So it's, it's great building a bench and it's, it's very important for people to build a bench to make sure you have competent and, and capable people that are running your company and can take over if you're not there. And my wife was the leader of that and she did a great job, but we also have very good people on my senior management team, senior leadership team that, that just took the reins and you know, ran with it. You just brought up, which is a good point. I think Monty preaches this with his clients is you, you don't want to always be working in your business. You want to be working on your business, especially when you're scaling at the level that you're at. If you, you cannot scale at that level, if you're in your, in the weeds all the time, you got to get outside of the weeds and work on that business and what a great job you've done. And it sounds like you're, you're growing your business even bigger. You got bigger plans. Yeah. So if you guys are ever looking to do a strategic planning meeting, hire Monty because he'll, he'll do a good job for you. But it was this summer that we did, and you can comment on this too, Monty, but basically a five-year plan. I've never, we've always done yearly goals, right? But I've never done like a five-year plan of, hey, this is where we want our company to be. And I, Doug, I want to correct you. Early on, you did not have goals. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> when we first started, yes. When we first started yeah, together, we to show up. Where, where are we going? Well, we're just trying to survive. Yeah. And that's that's a lot of people. They're just trying to yeah. survive. But once you started setting goals, then you had focus and you had direction. And Sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to no, say that. No, that, that, that's a great point because it, it kind of brings us back to where we were. You know, when you and I first started working together, it's like that that was back when we owned the nursing homes and we had just added a couple more facilities and our processes, we had none. And so when I talk about having processes, that that's a big part of 
what helped us grow exponentially and make sure that we were running a business that was very efficient and profitable. So, yeah, you find what a great comment you made there, Monty, but I think it's important that people understand what the process is. If you don't have the process and those goals in, in place, you'll find out your employee will get frustrated. Yeah, exactly. Because you're going back to the same thing over and over again. Well, they don't know what they're working for. They don't know what they're, what they're doing. And it's like, and what's, what value do I bring to the company? I mean, we're all doing our job and we're doing what we're told to, to do. But at the same time, it's like, what, what are we doing for the greater good? You know, I think that's important. You know, we're dealing with quiet quitting and great resignation and all that. I, I actually call it the great excuse because it's management teams that aren't creating that emotional connection. They aren't giving direction. So employees don't know what the future is. So they're going to go somewhere else where there is a future. Absolutely. Absolutely, Monty. I agree. And I think it's more important today than ever. There's so many things that are moving around. But business, in reality, business has never been better. If you want to get out there and make money today, it's the greatest opportunities, opportunities everywhere and making those, you know, we talked about it before, you know, you've got to bring those employees, make them appreciated, show them your processes and your goals and your vision and show how it'll meet their goals, their health and how they're a part of it because they want to be a part of something. Absolutely. Everybody wants to be a part of something great, but we have to be working towards something great and we have to define it. And that's, that's yeah. the role of a leader of a company is to define where we headed. Yeah. Which gets back to this. And we've talked many times about this is at the end of the day, maybe it's not always the employee. Maybe it's the business guy. Maybe he's just not a very good businessman and you got to get better as a businessman. And obviously scaling to 30, over 30 million and you're going up possibly doubling that. That's what you call a guy that a good businessman. And those are the type of people that you want to work for. Absolutely. And that's what everybody out there should aspire to be is know how to scale, put the process, set the goals and value those, those people that, and you'll attract them. I think you actually absolutely attract them. You will attract the better employees and the people will come and and they're out there. They're out there. And it's really about having something bigger than just what, what you're doing. You know, yes, we have goals. We have specific goals. You know, we want to grow in our contracts. We want to obviously grow in our revenue, but it's like, you know, for us, it's got to be more than just the therapy that we provide, but we want to enhance lives. Our, our purpose, our mission is, is to building, building strength to enhance lives. So that, that's what we, our purpose is. And so then we've made a bigger goal to say, yeah, we want all this stuff, but if we do all these things, what are we doing? Well, our goal is to enhance 10,000 lives a day. Okay. So that is making people's lives better. You know, that that's providing strength, it's providing therapy, but it's also providing jobs to our people and making sure that we have a good company with good leadership, with good culture, you know, that we're making a difference in their lives. Because if they're successful, they're successful at home. It's also um, being enhancing the lives of our clients and our customers. So the facilities that we that we work with, making sure that we're helping them with making a, a positive bottom line also, you know, and making them happy so they can go out and invest in the communities that they're in also. So it's, it's a, a multiplier effect by the, if we do a really good job by providing therapy to our customers and our clients and our end users, then we're making a difference throughout communities. And, and this is your mission, you say? This the is mission. our mission, yeah. That's pretty cool. 10,000 lives a day. 
that's that's really neat. That's really neat. And and getting your employees to buy in and 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 grab yeah. that's really great. Now, do you have core values that you guys set up too? Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. So we worked on those core values also. And, you know, we live by what those core values are. So you've got to bring those up, you know, during during your meetings, during your hiring, during your performance evaluations with your employees. So you've got, you know, as as Monty said, or I repeated Monty, but that core values is so huge to what your culture is and what what your behavior. It drives what your behaviors are if you're living to what your core values are. So it's a big deal to have. There's that fly again. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug, I, I really enjoyed having you on the show. And anything else that you want to share with our listeners, breaking through and your awareness and taking ownership, anything else you want to share? I think, I think just, you know, such a big part of, we were talking about, you know, even before doing the podcast and just having conversations about, you know, uh, having that leadership you know within your company and and having the culture and being the leading by example obviously and and knowing that your people trust you and trust the direction that you're going is so important with with any being successful with any company and so treat your people right it's not always easy it's it sometimes it's really hard making the right decisions which not everybody agrees with but for it's for the greater good. And so, you know, just go out there and give your best and, and persevere and be resilient. So, yeah. I love it. One of the, the last question we're going to ask every guest on our show is what do you want to be known for? You know, you, you've accomplished a lot. You've still got a lot of life ahead of you. What do you want to be known for from your kids, grandkids one day, whatever it might be? That's a good question. You know, I had had to write something down, Monty, because I, I knew that you were going to ask me that question, too. But, you know, for for what you want to be known for has to be more than just, you know, your business side of it, even though it's obviously, you know, for for people that are entrepreneurs of probably the audience that you guys are talking about, it is a big part of what their what their life is. But it's like you got to you got to be more than just a you know a great business guy more than just a great family but you got to in order to leave your legacy you've got to give back to your community you know you've you've got to and that is how you run your company and your employees and your and your family it's like teaching them how to give back to what the community is so it's something that i'm still trying to figure out even as as we go forward uh, and, and figure that out. I've talked to my wife about this before too. It's like, you know, what are we going to do? What do we want to be known for? So, but it, it is all about being able to give back to the community that has helped us get to where we're at today. So I love it. I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I really enjoyed hearing your stories and Paul, we've learned a lot from Doug today. What are, what are some key takeaways that you gained from, from our conversation? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, Doug, you've, what a wonderful company you've built. And, I, and it gets back to people. I mean, I, I, he's about the people. He's about the people first. And he realizes without building that team, making everybody feel part of that team is important. And that's, I agree. Absolutely. That's why you attract good people. I love it. A couple, couple other points that I took away. And, and I, I loved how you said it. 
almost each decade of life is a new definition of success. And when you have awareness of that, wish we'd have known that about 30 years ago, right? Yeah. You, know, but that, <laughs> you have to live a few years. We have to live a few years to get there. But I, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. But I also loved how you said, stick to what you know. It's good to diversify, but you still have your strengths that you want to be known for, things that you have sets in that. And then there's other areas that you don't. And yeah. uh, it's good to recognize that. So You know, that's a that's a great point too, Monty, that is you don't, as a business owner, you don't have to be the smartest one in the room, but you have to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you or have the skill set to do that. So I think that's very important because I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I have people that know how to get the job done and are smarter at that particular task. Paul, we had a great conversation today. Doug, I really appreciate you joining us and learned a lot. Thank you. Hope all of our listeners learned new things as well to make sure that you're breaking through your ceilings to get the next level in your life, your business, and your health. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to What's Your Ceiling? We hope this episode has helped you transform the way you think, understand your awareness, has given you new ideas, and has provided you a new perspective on how to push through your ceiling. Please take in a second to give us a thumbs up. Each review helps us impact more people just like you making a difference in this world. See you next week on What's Your Ceiling?